The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from James 3, 1 through 12 and 4, 11 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. Uh, exciting. I am wearing orange, not because I'm cheering for the Bengals, even though I am. I just picked a sweater, and I have three, so this is the one that I'm wearing. It was either that or black. That's like all I own is orange or black. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, real quick, we had a great parents' night out last night. Uh, we were able to serve nine families and 15 kids, uh, giving them a chance to have a night off away from their kids and getting to love and serve those families and uh, their little ones. And so if you served in particular, if you gave up five hours of your uh, Saturday afternoon to love and serve uh, kids and families, thank you. I really want to say thank you. Uh, that's a big sacrifice. Yeah, you can clap for them. I know... Um, I know you didn't do it so that we would clap for you, but I think it's good to recognize that that's a big sacrifice. And so thank you for loving and serving uh, families both in our church and outside of our church as well um, last night. We're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to be continuing our series. Let me pray for us, and then let's talk about our speech and our words. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, so much for who you are. And God, thank you that as we just sang about, God, that, that our boast is not in anything except for Christ who has lived, died, and risen again. And his wounds which marred him, wounds that were supposed to be for us, punishment that was supposed to be for us, wrath that was supposed to be for us, was poured out on Christ, the perfect one. Know that through that, you have, in fact, brought many to glory. And that was true then, and it's true now. And so as we consider our words, as we consider our speech, as we consider our tongues, our language, God, would you give us eyes to see ways that we rebel against you, that we don't love you, don't love others through our words, God, and would you give us hearts that are open to being changed by that good news? 
that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will in fact come again. And we love you, we need you. Pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. About six years ago or so, I made one of the stupidest comments I've ever made in my entire life. So let me set the scene for you. Some of you have heard this story. Lindsay and I uh, were married for about two months at the time. We were living in Louisville, Kentucky, going to seminary up there. And one day I had a day full of classes, and in between classes I sat down at lunch with my friend Tyler. And I proceeded to open up for my lunch this kind of squished together, gross-looking peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I had made for myself. Now, I'm a simple man. I like some PB&J, but I was fine with this lunch. I really was, until my friend Tyler proceeded to pull out the most amazing, fantastic sandwich you have ever seen in your entire life. I mean, that thing had wheat bread that was like this thick on both sides with turkey and cheese, and tomato, and lettuce, and bacon, and here's the real kicker, avocado (laughs) on his sandwich. So I said to my friend Tyler, I said, Tyler, man, we had an 8 a.m. this morning. How did you have time to get up and make yourself the most wonderful, perfect sandwich I've ever seen in my entire life? And he said, well, Tim, I want to let you know, I don't make my sandwiches. My wife, Kaylee, makes my sandwiches. Now, Tyler and Kaylee had been married about a year, so they were 10 months ahead of us in this marriage journey, and so I said, oh, I didn't know that this was one of the perks that's supposed to come with marriage, that my wife is supposed to make a sandwich for me every day. So I go home, go back to our apartment, and my wonderful, beautiful woman of God wife comes to the door. How was your day? I said it was good, you know, et cetera, et cetera, lectures about the Trinity, blah, 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 blah. Hey, real quick, uh, at lunch... I sat down and I pulled out my peanut butter and jelly, and that's fine, I like PB&J, but Tyler had the most beautiful, delicious sandwich you've ever seen in your entire life. And did you know that Kaylee makes sandwiches for Tyler every single day? So, I kid you not, this was my comment, I'm just wondering, like, when are you going to start doing that for me? (laughs) Two lessons that I learned... (laughs) Two lessons that I learned that day that I've never forgotten, even six and a half years later. Two lessons. Number one, my complete inability to control my words. And number two, the power that words have to hurt. Today we're going to be talking about the tongue, our speech. James is going to hone in on this continual question he's been asking us. What does living faith look like? And if you remember, the end of chapter 1, he gave kind of three aspects or three tests for living faith. He said first was to keep ourselves from sin. Second was to care for the needy and the poor around us. And third was to control our speech. This is how he says it in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is what James is interested in getting at in chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. How does our living, vibrant, alive with works faith in Christ affect how we talk? What does living faith have to do with our speech? Now, the weight of words is a terrifying thing to consider, given that, according to the research I did on Google this week, the average American adult speaks one million words per year. That breakdown is about 3,000 words per day. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you only ever say good things. Maybe you never put your foot in your mouth. Maybe you never say things that tear people down or that you shouldn't say or that harm or hurt. But for me, that's 3,000 opportunities every day to say something that I shouldn't. So we need to talk about how does living faith work when it comes to our speech. And this is James's argument that we're going to get into. Living faith controls 
our speech. Living faith controls our speech. Living faith keeps our words in check. It uses words not to tear down, but to build up. Living faith is able to control what comes out of our mouths for blessing and not for cursing. That's where we're going tonight. James chapter 3. Let's look at it together. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, You should get a bulletin. I've been told you guys don't like the bulletins. I like the bulletins. Get the bulletins. That's a personal side note. Verse 1, chapter 3. That's not the point of this. This is what James writes. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So James is about to warn us about the power and danger of the tongue. And he starts by saying, not many of you should become Bible teachers. And I think the why in that is because Bible teachers talk a lot. Some of you guys are like, yes, we know. That's hurtful. It's fine. I use a lot of words. I just do. If you are in a position in which you teach the Bible, you use a lot of words. And James is saying the tongue is dangerous. So you should be careful if you sign up to be someone who talks a lot. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. All right, pause there. Sometimes when we see the word perfect in the New Testament, that the writers of scripture are using it in this term of like being matured, being made whole. So I'm not talking like literal perfection. They're talking about this kind of growing up into the righteousness of Christ. So James himself actually uses that in chapter one. He says, if we remain steadfast in trial, we will be quote, made perfect, meaning matured in our Christian character. But sometimes when the authors of the New Testament use the word perfect, they mean actually perfect, like sinless perfection. And that's what James is meaning here. He says, if you're able to control your tongue, if you're able to be perfect without sin, only ever bless and praise and build up, never say anything you shouldn't to anyone you shouldn't, when you shouldn't, you're a perfect human being. Because here's his argument. Chances are, if if you can control your tongue, you can probably control the rest of your body and be perfect. That's what he wants you to understand. That's how big of a deal this is to James. If you get your tongue under control, your life will be under control. All right? Now hold that. We're going to come back to it at the end. Just kind of set it aside. Let's ask this question first. Why? Why does James care so much about our speech? Why does James care so much that he would devote 13 verses here and more in chapter 4 and more in chapter 5 to how we use our tongues? And I want to argue that it's this. And this is what we're going to look at today. It's because James knows that the tongue is powerful, dangerous, and destructive. James knows the tongue is powerful, dangerous, and destructive. So let's look at each of these one at a time. We'll start with the first one, the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. Pick it up in verse 3 of James 1. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James is going to give us two illustrations to show the power of the tongue. Though it's small, it has great power. And so he compares it to a small bit. A bit is what you put in the mouth of a horse. And a jockey uses it to tell a horse where to go, how fast to go, how slow to go. And then he compares it again to a small rudder, this small piece on the back of a ship where you turn it and it directs this giant ship where to go and where to head. And James says that's what a tongue is like. With both analogies, he's getting after this same message. Your speech is intricately connected to your direction. 
The way that you use your tongue is intricately connected to the direction of your heart and therefore the direction of your life. In other words, where your speech goes, there goes your heart and there goes your life. Let me give you a few examples of this. Think about the way you talk about your spouse if you're married. If you always only ever talk about your spouse as if they're annoying, as if they're frustrating, as if they're difficult, even in a joking way, even in like a, you know, the old ball and chain, that's eventually going to do something to your heart. Right? Don't be surprised when you wake up six months later and you suddenly no longer like your spouse. Think about your kids. If you consistently are always only ever talking about your kids in a complaining way, those little annoying, obnoxious bundles of evil, right? They're always disobeying. They're always in my way. They're so frustrating. Don't be surprised when you wake up six months from now and you don't love your kids more. Or think about your job. If anytime anyone asks how your job is going and your first response is, okay, what can I complain about? How is it busy? How is it making me tired? How is it not living up to my calling? Like, what's wrong with my job? Don't be surprised when you don't like your job more and more. How you talk dictates the direction of your heart and therefore the direction of your life. And the opposite is true as well, right? If you're like, man, I'm really struggling with contentment in my job. Just try the experiment for six months. Talk only positively about your job. Hey, how's your job going? You know, it's strong, but Jesus is it's tough. Jesus is good. He's getting me through it. I'm learning a lot. I'm being stretched. I'm being grown. See how the speech of your tongue might actually direct your heart and therefore direct your life. James says the tongue is small, but it's powerful. So control your tongue control your life. But not only is it powerful, he's also going to say it's incredibly dangerous. Let's talk about the danger of the tongue. Pick it up in verse 5 again. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. All it takes is a small spark to set a forest up in flames, right? I don't know if you remember reading about this, uh, back in fall of 2020, it's like September kind of time frame, there was this wildfire taking place in kind of inland Southern California. They named it the El Dorado Fire, which I think is just like a really cool name for a fire, like the El Dorado Fire. And it was this fire, it lasted two months. It spread out over the course of, I think, something like 22,000 acres. It destroyed 16 buildings, it killed one person and injured 12 more, right? This El Dorado Fire in the fall of 2020. Here's how it started an accident at a gender reveal party. That's how it started. This couple wanted to do like smoke and they wanted to be like, you know, pink smoke or blue smoke because we got to have celebrate, find out what the gender is. And one of the machines had a tiny spark and that tiny spark caught their lawn on fire and it spread and spread and spread to 22,000 acres in two months. And James says, that's what the tongue's like. It's a small spark, this little tiny flame. That's all it takes to set a forest Ablaze. That's the danger of the tongue. It's incredibly powerful, but it's also incredibly dangerous. It can do so much damage. It's so little, but it can affect so much. So what happens when you combine that power and that danger, James says you have a recipe for destruction. This is where I kind of want to camp out for the last little bit. Number three, the destruction of the tongue. Verse six. He says, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and notice this, set on fire by hell. When's the last time you were like, you know, my tongue is really set on fire by hell. 
Our speech has the power to lead to absolute destruction. We can do so much damage with our tongues. Our speech like that, though so small, a word here, a comment there, an offhanded joke there can do so much damage. I think that's why the author of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That we have the ability to speak death or to speak life. James is going to hone in on this destruction the tongue can do by giving us two specific ways, two specific ways that our tongues can destroy. Number one, he says our tongues destroy in how we talk to people. Skip down to verse nine. We'll come back to seven and eight. He says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our tongues are powerful, they're dangerous, and they destroy, and they destroy in one way in particular, how we talk to people. Notice his wording in verse 9. He says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father. We praise him, we worship him, we give him glory and honor and thanks. And then with that same tongue, we turn around and we curse people around us. Now, what he means by blessing and cursing is not like south, like, oh, bless your heart, and cursing like a bunch of four-letter words. That's not what he's talking about, all right? So blessing and cursing are two mega themes in Scripture. Like, if you read the Scriptures, you'll continue to see this pattern of blessing versus cursing, both in how God relates to his people and also how he calls us to relate to one another. And so let me kind of show you these. To bless someone means to speak life over and into them. When you bless someone, you speak life into them. You welcome them. You give them uh, favor. You impart strength through your words. You encourage them. You build them up. You call them to something greater. And the Bible says this is actually part of how we learn to be image bearers of God. That when God speaks in the Bible, life comes forth. We see this most clearly in Genesis 1 and 2, right? In the beginning, there was God. And what did God do? He spoke. And what happened? Life sprung forth. So we're called in his image to do the same thing, that when we speak, that we would speak life in the blessing of our words. So if I was to bless Harper, my daughter, I would speak life into her. I would say things like, I'm so proud of you. You're a good daughter. I love you no matter what. When we bless, we speak life, and cursing is the exact opposite. When we curse someone, instead of using our words to build up, we use our words to tear down. We speak words over people that are meant to bring harm, to lead to destruction, that are meant to destroy. We say things like, you'll never amount to anything. You're just a screw-up. You're a failure. When you consider the power and danger and destruction of our words, you know the power of a blessing or a cursing, right? Like, I don't know when we ever decided that we should teach our kids a lie just because it rhymes, right? Here's the lie that we were taught from a very early age, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me, right? How untrue is that? Right? Like, just think about it for a second. Sticks and stones may break my bones, which is true, but words will never hurt me? How untrue is that? I I think instead it should be written, hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, but wounds from words, they'll last much longer. Because here's the deal, you know that you still have curses that were spoken over you 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago that are still deep down in your gut even today. And the opposite is true as well. You still have blessings, life that somebody spoke over you. Maybe they didn't even mean to. Maybe they were just offhanded. I just want to encourage you real quick. And you're still holding on to that thing 10, 15, 20 years later, and it's still giving you life even now. Now. 
We know the power of our words. I know the power of words that people have spoken to me. There are still things that people spoke over me and my life 10 plus years ago that I'm still trying to say, you know what? Am I still living out of a desire to prove them wrong? Am I still living out of a desire to say, no, that's not true about me? I'm not what you said. I'm not what you claimed. I'm not what you spoke. Likewise, I still remember very specific blessings of life that people spoke over my life. I remember in particular being 14 years old and the pastor that I grew up under pulling me aside one day after church. And I remember he was the first person ever to say, hey, Tim, I think God actually wants to use you in the kingdom in some way. I don't know what, might be small, might be big, I don't know, but I know that God wants to do something in and through you. I still remember that conversation. We know the power of our words to speak blessing or to speak cursing. And James says, be careful, a small spark, one little offhanded comment, one little joke there, and you don't understand the power of your words to set a forest ablaze in the life of someone. Whether it be parent to kid, kid to parent, whether it be friend to friend, whether it be husband to wife, wife to husband, there's power in how we speak to people. The second way he says our tongues can be destructive is not how we talk to people, but how we talk about people. Skip over to to chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He's going to pick back up on this theme of the tongue, and this is what he says in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This phrase, do not speak evil, can be translated as do not slander. A lot of translations say do not slander one another, brothers. It's do not slander, do not gossip. I think we use those terms interchangeably. I think they're a little different. Let me give you helpful definitions. So gossip is saying a true thing to the wrong person, while slander is saying a false thing to the wrong person. So both have to do with the wrong person, right? One's a true thing. Hey, did you hear this? But you're not supposed to say it to them. One's a false thing, slander. Hey, did you hear this? And it's false, and you're saying it to the wrong person. And and both gossip and slander have always been huge problems within the church. From the very beginning, from the writing of James 30, 40 years after the time of Jesus to now, gossip and slander are a huge part of problems within the church. And honestly, as the church, we should expect that. Throughout the scriptures, there's so much emphasis put on the unity of God's people. Like time and time again, the Bible says that the way that we love one another, the way that we care about one another, live life together, puts the gospel on display to the watching world around us. And so, of course, if we have an enemy in the world, the flesh, and the devil, of course those things are going to be pushed back against, right? Of course our enemy would say, okay, if the unity of Christians puts the gospel on display, then what do I need to do? I need to attack the unity of the church. So why wouldn't he cause us to mistrust one another, to doubt one another, to believe lies about one another? to gossip, to slander against one another. And this is an incredibly big deal to God. I could give you 25, 30 plus verses. I'll give you three. That's what I have time for. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I'll give you three. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and what? Slander be put away from you. Romans 1, 28 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, talking about unbelievers, God gave them up to a debased, an evil, a wicked, a messed up mind to do what ought not to be done. And notice what happens when he does this. They are what? Gossips and slanders. 1 Peter 2.1. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all, there it is again, slander. Time and time again, Paul, Peter, James, put it away. Put it away. 
Because here's what happens. Here's the danger that happens. Here's the destruction that happens. Look back at James 4, the rest of 11 and 12. Do not slander one another, brothers, for the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's what happens when we gossip or slander. We become the judge. When you gossip or slander about somebody else, you become the judge. Hey, can you believe so-and-so did that? Like, did you hear what, did you, can you, can you, ugh, can you believe that? What happens when we gossip or we slander is we go to somebody else and we put ourselves in a superior seat to them, right? We say, okay, here's their action, but here's my judgment of their action. It doesn't matter if I'm sinful and wrong for judging them and slandering them. Here's what you need to know. They're wrong. I'm right. Look at me. I'm awesome. And we judge them. We put ourselves in a seat of superiority instead of doing what the Bible says we should do when someone sins against us is what? Go to them in love, in godly confrontation, Matthew 7, to take the plank out of our own eye and go, okay, where am I self-righteous in this? Where am I prideful in this? Where am I sinful in this? And then you go so you can then help them get the speck out of their eye. But instead we go, hey, you wronged me, maybe validly or not. It doesn't matter. I'm now the judge. And so I'm going to run around and tell everybody how you did wrong. That's what we do in our gossip and our slander. We put ourselves into the seat of superiority against others. And it's destructive. It's so destructive. It kills unity within the church because guess what happens? I go, I slander against you because I for some perceived or real wrong that you've done against me. I'm in the seat of superiority. I'm now the judge. You're now the wrong. I'm going to go to this person. What are they going to think about you? Either they're going to agree with me and yeah, that person, I'm now also going to judge them or they're going to be mad at me. <laughs> and now they're going to put themselves in a seat of superiority against me. There's no win in gossip and slander. There is a win in lovely, God, loving, godly, sacrificial confrontation. And that's what the Bible invites us into. Now, it's worth noting in all of this power, danger, destruction, that James's view of the tongue is much bigger than ours. James's view of the tongue is much more powerful, much more dangerous, much more destructive and important than ours. Because here's what happens. We don't take our speech very seriously. Right? If we use our tongues for destruction, our first thought is like, okay, it's not. Hey, there it goes again. This world of unrighteousness set on fire by hell, right? If you say something you shouldn't to someone or about someone, your first thought is never, man, this is set on fire by hell, isn't it? First of all, because that'd be weird. But second of all, because we don't do that. We don't like to be honest with our sin. So what happens is when we sin against someone and how we talk to or about them is we do one of a couple of things. We minimize. Ah, it's really not that big of a deal, right? You know, like, I know I said it, but like, whatever. Like, it's not that, like, get over it. Like, you're just kind of being sensitive right now. Like, don't worry about it. We excuse it. We justify it. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have said that about them, but like, they really, really hurt me. Like, they really offended me. So like, I'm just, I just gotta, I just gotta, I gotta get it out. We deceive and we lie. Well, that's not what I actually said. Or we try to separate ourselves from our words. Yeah, but like, you know, I know I said that, but like, that's not really how I feel. That's not really who I am. But James says our speech is not a game. It's not a, a joke. It's not something we dismiss or minimize. It's not simply words separate from us. Our tongues are powerful. They're dangerous. They can destroy. They can set on fire and cause destruction to our lives and our homes and our community and our church. So the invitation, James chapter 3, verse 2, to come back around to what we set aside at the beginning, the invitation from James is to control it. 
Control your tongue. That's what living faith does. Living faith controls the tongue. Here's the problem. Verses 7 and 8. We skipped over it earlier. James says, control your tongue. Here's the problem. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says, if you can control your tongue, if you're perfect in your speech, you're perfect in your life. Here's the problem. You can't control it. Mankind has figured out a way to control everything, to tame everything, every type of creature, whales, lions, eagles, all the different types, but no human being can tame the tongue. How true is that? Like, like, listen, we know, we, I'll use we, me and myself included, we know how powerful and destructive those words that were spoken over us 15 years ago were. And yet this week, I'm going to be tempted to destroy someone with my words. We know how incredibly hurtful it is to find out someone gossiped or slandered about us, right? And yet probably tomorrow, maybe tonight, I'm going to be tempted to gossip or slander about someone. We can't control our tongues. We can't do it. We know how much it would hurt that friend to make that joke. And yet what do we do? We make the joke. We know how hurtful it would be to our spouse to ask that question, but what do we do? We ask the question. We know how incredibly hurtful it would be to that community group member to say that thing about them to somebody we shouldn't, but what do we do? We say the thing we shouldn't. We cannot control the tongue, and here's why that is. This is Jesus, half-brother of James in Matthew 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen to me, church. You can't control your tongue because it's ultimately not a tongue problem. It's a heart problem. It's ultimately not a tongue problem, it's a heart problem because our hearts are evil apart from Christ. Our speech is evil. What comes out of us is what is inside of us. So you don't change your speech by changing your your tongue, you change your speech by changing your heart. You don't just walk out of here going, okay, no more gossip, stop at tongue, no more slander, be quiet. You don't change your tongue by changing your tongue, you change your tongue by changing your heart. But here's the good and freeing news and the other problem. Just like you can't change your tongue, you also can't change your heart. How good is that? How true and freeing is that? That Jesus would say, you speak evil because apart from me, your heart is evil, but here's the deal. You can't change your heart, and that's why Jesus came. That's the good news of the gospel. See, the gospel is not just that Jesus makes us positionally right with God. That's true. The good news of the gospel is that we are sinners separated from God, that we are full of sin, and Jesus would give us his righteousness, and we would be declared faultless in our standing and position before God. That is true. But not only does Jesus declare us righteous in the gospel, he also makes us righteous. He takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us new hearts and new desires and new loves, a soft heart and the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us to actually affect and change how we might talk to one another in our lives. And that's why I love the specificity of James chapter three, verse eight. Look at it again. It'll be on the screen this time. It says, no human being can tame the tongue. 
No human being can tame the tongue. Not no one, no human being. Why? Because the only person who can tame the tongue is the God who became man, Jesus Christ. Jesus can change our tongue because Jesus can change our hearts. I love the way St. Augustine says it. He says it this way. James does not say no one can tame the tongue, but no man, so that when it is tamed, we admit that it was done by the mercy of God, the assistance of God, and the grace of God. Our tongues are evil, so control them. Well, we can't. All right, well, then change your heart. Well, I can't. What do I need? The mercy, assistance, and grace of God. Isn't that true for all of the Christian life? Hey, I want to love those in need, but I can't. All right, we'll just do it. I can't. Okay, I need the grace, mercy, and assistance of God. Hey, keep yourself from evil. Keep yourself from being unstained by the world. Well, I can't. What do I need? I need the grace, assistance, and mercy of God. Grace and grit. I need the assistance. I need to put in some work. I need to put in some effort. But more than anything, I need the grace and mercy of God to change me, to change my heart. So today, the invitation for us is to give ourselves over to the grace, mercy, and assistance of God. First, if you're not a Christian, like we would say every single week, the first step for you is not to try to control your speech because you can't. So if you walk out of here being like, hey, I see this handout in the bulletin. There's some good resolutions for changing my tongue. I'm going to do that. It's going to be faultless and fruitless. It's not going to work. You need a new heart. And Jesus offers that in the good news of the gospel. So the invitation every week is for you to repent, believe, and trust in him. Turn to him for forgiveness of sins and salvation. Two applications if you're a believer. Number one, let every mess up with your speech that you're going to make tonight, tomorrow, and forever, let every mess up with your speech lead you back to your deep need of God's grace. Listen, we don't boast in anything but our weaknesses. And so every time your tongue gets out of control, every time that you speak cursing instead of blessing, every time you talk about someone how you shouldn't or to someone how you shouldn't, let that go back to, I'm going to boast in the weakness of my ability to control my tongue because Christ is still good. Christ is still king. Christ still gets the glory. He's still working. I need to go back to Jesus. It's a chance for you to repent, not just to God, but also to the person you spoke bad to or about. Our church culture would be so incredibly beautiful if we just learned to go, hey, I gossiped about that person. I slandered about that person. I shouldn't. You know what my next phone call is going to be to that person I talked about? Hey, I I said this to somebody I shouldn't, and I'm really sorry. That was sin. That was wrong. I need you to forgive me. I need God to forgive me, and I need you to forgive me. That would do wonders for the unity of our church. Third, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to recognize that you do, in fact, have a new heart. That you're not allowed to say, well, I'm sorry I said that. I'm just a sinner. That's not an excuse. It's <laughs> not a justification. You have a new heart. God has taken your heart of stone. He's given you a heart of flesh. You actually can love with your tongue. You actually can say no to sin, no to gossip, no to slander, no to, to cursing and destruction. You can say yes to God. It's going to take some grit and some effort and some discipline. You're going to need some assistance of God. There's going to be some times this week where you're going to be like, ah, I really want to engage in that conversation and say that thing I shouldn't say. Lord, help me. And you're going to have to work. Praise the Lord. He's got more grace. Sufficient grace, sufficient mercy. There's a handout in your bulletin. Uh, It's 12 resolutions for the tongue. It's from a pastor named Sinclair Ferguson. I found it was really helpful uh, for me just to look at over the past few weeks. I would encourage you to look at that, to think about it. They're all from the book of James. Just some different resolutions as you think about, okay, what does the grace, mercy, and assistance of God mean for my speech and for my tongue? I would encourage you to adopt some of those resolutions for yourself. There's some good verses to memorize, some good things to consider as we think about what it means for us to bless and to build up and to encourage with our tongues. Ultimately, in all of it, we need the grace of God. We need his assistance. We need his mercy. Let me pray for us. 
God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, thank you that in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame. God, thank you that we, in your providence, cannot control our tongues. That we, in your sovereignty, cannot control our tongues, God. But in our sin, we need you We need your grace, we need your mercy, we need your assistance. God, would you help us see that our tongue, our speech is evil because our hearts are evil. And so we just don't need new speech, we need new hearts. We can't change our hearts. We can't take our hearts of stone out and give ourselves hearts of flesh. We can't make our hearts alive to you. We can't dwell ourselves with the Holy Spirit. God, we need you. And your promise for all of us who are in you is that you've given us new hearts. You've given us hearts of flesh. You've given us hearts that are soft to your spirit, Lord. And so would you help us believe that, throw ourselves onto your mercy and grace and assistance, that you would actually help us be a people that speak life instead of cursing, blessing instead of dishonoring, encouragement instead of gossip or slander. God, would you grow our unity as a church, that we would be a people first and foremost that lovingly confront, sacrificially confront, lovingly encourage, that we would take seriously our speech. We would love well, not just in word, but also, not just in deed, but also in word. We want to do both. We need your help. We need new hearts. We love you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.